Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is December the 19th, 2017, and we are up to episode 2134 of the Survival Podcast, 2134. It's a Just Jack show because it's a Tuesday. And I have a topic for you today called Choosing Excitement and Abundance Over Gloom and Doom. We're going to talk about being a modern survivalist and, and, and what that's really all about today from a very optimistic standpoint. And I decided it was probably a good idea to do a show like this today because this is the last Just Jack show of 2017, not the last Just Jack. I mean, Somebody out there is like, oh my God, it's going to end. No, 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 but we are going to shut down, right? So Friday will be the Christmas uh, show. And I think I'm going to run rewinds in the week between Christmas and New Year's. I've heard from a bunch of people, and almost every single person said, yeah, I would like rewinds. One person said, I don't want rewinds because I need a break. Well, I'm not going to not put them out because one person needs a break. He can not listen to them, I guess. I mean... I was really more interested in how many people are interested, so I'd still like to know. I mean, I don't want to go do it if no one's going to listen. Um, but if, if you're if you would like rewind shows available between uh, Christmas and New Year's, that'll be next week. Let me know, and if I get enough people, I'll go ahead and produce them because it's not that much work. Anyway, before we get into today's topic, let's uh, let's take a look at the year in history. Uh, we're up to the year 83 in our walk with David Verne and Southpaw Ben as we uh, take a look at history coming from the year one forward. And uh, this year, in 83, we have what's called a mock triumph. What's a mock triumph? Well, according to David Verne, the Emperor Domitian has always been jealous of military glory won by his father and brother. Even though he believes in Augustus' advice not to expand the empire further, he decides to embark on a military campaign of his own. On the pretense of conducting a census in Gaul, he gathers a couple legions, including transferring units from other commanders that needed them. He decides to pick a target that would be easy to defeat and launches an attack on Chadi, uh, a Germanic tribe that has been allied with Rome for several years. After regrouping following the initial assault, the Chadi begin harassing Roman supply lines and launching guerrilla attacks, but the Roman numbers are too great. Domitian pushes the Roman frontier into the area of modern-day Bavaria and begins a construction of forts and roads. With winter approaching, Domitian decides it would be best to gain a victory, so he declares victory and leaves. In Rome, he celebrates a triumph for his victory over the Chadi and gives himself the title Germanicus. Tactius calls the whole thing a mock triumph. It claims that Domitian dressed slaves from the marketplace in the German clothing and had them grow beards to make it look like large amounts of prisoners had been captured. My take by David Verne. Although this story of Domitian attacking an ally could be dismissed as sensational, Historians are trying to tarnish his reputation. There is evidence from later in his reign that lends credence to this attack. While attacking an ally wasn't a smart move, a benefit from this campaign was the strengthening of the Limes Germanicus. This was a 353-mile fortification network of 60 forts and over 900 watchtowers that served not as a prevention against invasion, but as an early warning system of invasions and gave Romans knowledge of all traffic along the border. Domitian didn't begin or finish this project, but he made important contributions to its construction. Uh, I know it's a totally different scenario, but when I when I read this, and you know, like Domitian, like 
the the one the 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 part that really hits me is um let me let me find here with winter approaching Domington decides it'd be best to gain a victory so he declares victory and leaves um i just see mission accomplished the banner on the ship in george w uh, again this is a very very different thing but it, in in some ways it's it's the old saying that history doesn't always repeat itself but it often rhymes And uh, mission accomplished, victory is over, and you know we're still in both of these theaters. You know, another president has come and gone with two terms, and it's we need a victory, so we'll just declare it. Um, never underestimate the willingness of those in power to use war to increase their power. I think that's that's the big lesson I get from here. Anyway, with that, before we get into the main topic of today's show, I want to remind you guys that you can help support us by doing what. Joining the MSB, and if you have a spouse or a friend or a relative that would like MSB as a gift for Christmas, email me directly, Jack at the Survival Podcast dot com. Put uh, MSB Christmas in the subject line, and I will uh, help you work that out and how to do that. I've had a few requests for that. Anyway, everybody else, you can just go by the site and join by clicking on members. And remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, first responders, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, that sort of thing, active duty or prior service. You all qualify for a discount. If you want to join the MSB at a discount, just send me an email with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you do, and we'll get you set up with that discount. Do that before, not after you join. And again, guys, the MSB is a great deal. You support this show at about 20 cents an episode. You get a bunch of discounts on stuff you're probably going to buy anyway, and over a year you probably get your money back plus some. That's, that's the way we run the MSB. So with that... I do have a couple things to cover that are not directly related to the topic, but they're really related to the topic. Number one, I want to remind you one more time, or I, should, I want to write probably one more time this year, that I will be speaking this winter at Liberty Forum in New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project's efforts. It's going to be awesome. I will be doing a keynote uh, address on the opening night. I will be doing a breakout session with other podcasters on podcasting to spread the message of liberty and build financial independence. <clears throat> I will be doing an individual breakout session, and I'm not telling you what it is yet, but it'll be probably something pretty cool and related to doing something rather than just being inspired. And it'll be awesome. There'll be a lot of other really great people there. You can come there and meet Vin Armani. You can meet a bunch of other really cool people. And whether you're ever going to be directly part of Free State Project or not, I would say this is like one of those things that some point in your life, You need to go to New Hampshire, and you need to meet these people. And doing it a year where I'm there, and you can meet me too, that's even better, right? So uh, you can get a link in the show notes today where you can uh, learn more about Liberty Forum. And remember, we got you a discount of 10% off with coupon code TSP10 if you're going to Liberty Forum. Next, I have a little bit of a, a thought about what's going on with Bitcoin. So a, a while ago, probably six, seven weeks ago, I said the following. Bitcoin will probably run into a wall around eighteen to twenty-four thousand dollars, and if you've looked at what Bitcoin's done for like the past couple weeks, it ran up right up to twenty, and then ran back away from it, up to twenty and back away from it, and it sat in this like high seventeen, mid nineteen range, and I think Bitcoin may be at that wall as people are jumping into this and realizing the transaction fees. And like I said, there are solutions to these. I am not one of these doomsday, Bitcoin's going to die because of Bitcoin Cash or whatever this other crap is. But there is a fundamental reality. Like once you get uh, Bitcoin to that price point, it gets exceedingly expensive to move Bitcoin around, especially smaller and smaller amounts. 
And that, coupled with some of the, the, the suppression by futures trading, shorting Bitcoin, maybe holding it from making that final break over $20,000. There's a couple things I think are at play here, though, as to where it's going to go in the future. I don't think we're even close to done with this run yet. Um, when exactly it'll break out, I don't know. But this is what I think you can take from that. When Bitcoin breaks out of the $20,000 ceiling, and that does not mean $20,001 for 15 seconds. That means, you know, you're running up $21,000, $23,000, something like that significant. And realize, every time we cross another $10,000 threshold, $1,000 means less. Uh, when, when Bitcoin was $10,000, going up or down $1,000 was 10%. When Bitcoin hits $20,000, going up or down uh, $1,000 is 5% move. It's a much smaller move. So when you get 5%, 6% up over um, this and sustain it for any length of time, I think what it will be is the market saying, we don't care. We don't care at all. It's irrelevant now. We are, we are, we are looking at Bitcoin from a, from a standpoint of buying it. It's solely an investment and a store of wealth. And we're going to buy it anyway, and either this problem gets fixed or we're going to make money by holding on to it and waiting for it to get big enough and moving larger blocks of it into other currencies if we want to spend it. Because most people do not want to spend Bitcoin right now anyway. There's the other thing that's going on. There was an announcement that came out today that it looks really solid that lightning will be introduced for Bitcoin. Let me give you the very, very rudimentary explanation of what Lightning is. It is a secondary network, an off-chain network, to settle Bitcoin transactions. It would allow you to open up, let's say, a Lightning tunnel, I guess is a good way to look at it, and settle a whole bunch off-chain and then do one on-chain settlement unless there's any discrepancies. If somebody doesn't play ball right in there, then... They can be go back to the blockchain to settle the discrepancies as a normal transaction, which would, of course, I, I think at that point incur the usual fees, but it would prevent people from cheating. Is it perfect? I don't know. Will it be perfect? Doubtful. Will it work? Yeah, I know it'll work. And the reason I know it'll work is it's already working for Litecoin. Litecoin already has it, but because Litecoin doesn't really need it, it's not really being used. Um, but that's, that's the other beauty of Litecoin, right? It's the Bitcoin testbed. If you want to know if something will work for Bitcoin, you stick it on Litecoin and see if it works. If it works, it works. Um, it's not like tomorrow morning that this is going to be available. It'll probably be sometime next year early. Um, but that is, you know, it, and it's really not something, from my research on it, that you will specifically use. What will happen is larger entities that want to create Bitcoin payment options will set up nodes that will enable Lightning to be used. So that you might just put a thing on your website that says, I take Bitcoin. And you're running it through them the way you would run it through any merchant provider, and they pay a fee to open that Lightning tunnel, I guess you'd call it, and then it closes out after a certain time and reopens as a new one. And you might be charged a small fee to use as a merchant, or maybe not, probably not at all. There's probably, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but what it will do is enable microtransactions. If you want to send somebody a couple Satoshi, you should be able to do it again, and it'll be fast. And from everything I can see, it looks like it works. And this is the bigger deal to me. It's another solution to the problem. The shift card is a solution to the problem. 
that Lightning is a solution to the problem. And I'm beginning to see the brilliance in Bitcoin Core of let's only change what we absolutely have to, and let's let people enable solutions that are independent from Bitcoin to solve the bigger problems. And the reason is it gives people confidence that Bitcoin will stay what Bitcoin always has been. Now, do I think there'll be more forks of Bitcoin? Yep, and like I said, I'm happy about that because I get free money uh, as a Bitcoin holder. And I think there may be a point where Core, which is the team that's behind the main core Bitcoin code, might say, we need to do this. But I think they're being very conservative. I think it's very smart. And I think to really understand how smart it is, you have to understand that it was about, oh, six weeks ago, when Bitcoin, maybe five weeks ago, four-ish, somewhere in there, the Bitcoin you know, cracked over 10 grand. And I said the following, if you're looking for a short-term correction, you're probably not going to get it. And a day later, when Bitcoin went down to like $9,400, people like, gee, looks, looks like you don't know much at all. And I'm like, okay, you understand that like if this was a $10 stock, and I said, I think you probably have a pretty strong floor at $10. And if you're looking for a short-term correction back to what you know that was $6 and $7, you're probably not going to get it. And the stock went down to $9.50 for a day. And then went up to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and stuck in the 18 to 20 dollar range. That was a pretty good call, right? Because again, we look at it, we go, "Let's." That went down like three thousand dollars from 12. Yeah, but it went down one percent, or yeah, one percent below what I called, or five percent below what I called as a floor for a day, and went right back up and established a floor and established a floor four thousand or 40% higher than I called the floor at. And so I think I have a pretty good track record with this. I'm not saying go dump your kid's college fund into this. It's still you know a Vegas money play. It's a risk capital play. But I, I don't think you're seeing $15,000 Bitcoin anytime again soon. I think if you ever see that, um, long term, it's going to be something terrible has happened and it's on its way to oblivion for some reason. And Again, that could always happen. But over the next year, two, three, I think all you see is long-term trend, a continuous moving average upward. I know that sounds crazy, but you know, if somebody told you that Bitcoin would finish the year near $20,000 in June, you would have said, it's a bubble if you didn't know any better. And I wanted to... And there's, this does tie into everything we're going to talk about today, by the way, guys, that are not big on the crypto. Um, I do want to point one thing out, though. When somebody says to you something like, it's a bubble, the government created it, the New World Order created it, it's going to be hacked, or fill in the blank with whatever. I think the appropriate response is, can you tell me how Bitcoin works? I have a good friend of mine, and I recently had a conversation. He called me to get my advice on investing in cryptocurrency, and then proceeds me to tell, tell me everything that's wrong with it. So we almost ended the phone call with a hang-up, because I'm like, don't call me for my advice and then tell me I'm wrong. Because I, if you don't want my advice, don't ask for it. But he said, you know the people I know. And this guy's very, very affluent and worth a lot of money. He knows a lot of people that pretend to know a lot of things, because sometimes when you know people with a lot of money, you pretend to know a lot of things, it could be their friend, is how I feel about it. And I know this is a creation of the IMF and this and that, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, can you tell me how it works? Well, what works? How does... Bitcoin, specifically. How does Bitcoin work? Well, it's just code. 
that's that's not an answer. That doesn't explain how it works. You know, do you can you explain how thousands, millions of computers across the world all work in this network together? Will they get money for it? Yeah, but that's not an answer. And I said, go back to all these people telling you the way things are and say, how does it work? And I, and I imagine most of them can't tell you. And most of the people you see on TV, when they start talking about Bitcoin, these experts that urge caution, about, they can't tell you how it works. It's a bubble. How does it work? It's not backed by anything. I didn't ask you that. That's the other It's not backed by anything. Well, it's backed by millions of computers that are willing to expend energy to ensure that things can't be counterfeited and can be verified to, cons- to uh, create an accurate ledger of exchange. That's what backs it. And most people will tune out when you tell them that because they can't understand it, and more accurately, they don't want to understand it. So th- there's my kind of forward-looking analysis of Bitcoin. All right, and I wanted to say that because I, I'm holding my Bitcoin. I'm not moving anything out of Bitcoin. Um, I'm also holding Litecoin and Ethereum, and I, and I wish I was holding more Litecoin because I had an opportunity to and I didn't take it. I'm not buying it right now, but I actually think it's a pretty solid buy, especially if you're looking to get into cryptocurrency and you're looking for something to add to a, a mitigation of risk of your portfolio. Um, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and I'm going to tell you something else. Bitcoin Cash is probably due for a massive run in January because Coinbase is adding it. It's adding some other ones. And just about any of those that are going to get added are going to have runs because people are going to be able to buy them. And the lower the price on the one, as they get added, the, probably the quicker they'll run up because there's millions of Bitcoin users waiting for the next Bitcoin. And understand that just because it's cheap doesn't make it the next Bitcoin. But you may be able to do well by understanding that people are going to behave that way. So I wanted to let you know everything because since I talk about it and I don't want anybody hurt, I want to be honest about what I'm doing. Alright, so, um, let's get into the main topic of today's show, which is basically why despite how screwed up things are, this is a great time to be alive. And the way cryptocurrency ties into that is, do you understand that we have a, a for the first time in human history, we have a competitive landscape of private banking services. That's what cryptocurrency is. You have options for security, Uh, privacy, you have options for store of value, you can you do better holding most stable cryptocurrencies as a savings account than any investment instrument with any level of you know promise to it, like a CD or something like that. It's, it's, it's preposterous in comparison. It's better than most stock portfolios, and it has been over the last year. Could it get worse? Yes, but you have this as an option. And even when some have performed poorly, some have performed well. They're there. They're available. And you can do it in many ways without even a bank account. And you can move money independently and privately. That's just one example. I mean, that's why that ties in. I mean, you have to really think. Like, if somebody told you that 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 8 years ago, ready as Bitcoin started, that's what we were headed to, most people would never have believed it. I wouldn't have. Um, but again, I wanted to do this because it's the last Just Jack show of the year, and I wanted it to end on a positive note. And we as preppers were often cast as doomsday bunker types by many, not just the holiday crowd. Not long ago, uh, a guy saw me at a store and started up a conversation with me. He was actually a clerk at this store. And I was wearing one of my survival podcast t-shirts. 
And so he sees the Survival Podcast on it. It's like the coffee one, the old design. And uh, he was like, oh, so you're a prepper. And I'm like, yeah, sure am. And he's like, so when do you think it's going to happen? Right? He gets like close to me, like, when do you think it's this is at a feed store, right? So it's not like there's a bunch of people there or anything. He goes, like, it goes over my face, like, so when do you think it's going to happen? And I knew what he meant, but like, I'm not just going to go, yeah, I want to see where this is going to go. So I'm like, when what's going to happen? He responded with, you know, it. I looked at him like he was nuts. And he kind of was in a way. And I said, it what? Like, I'm not going to let him off the hick yet. Then he kind of lets it out. He's like, quietly looks around, you know, and he gets really, really close and making sure there's like no, like, UN spies or something, I guess. He goes, the big one, the, the, the collapse, when the entire thing crashes to the ground. Like, when is that going to happen? I'm like, you know, that's, that's, that's not what we do. Um, and we started having a conversation. He started explaining to me, he had started actually watching like the Doomsday Prepper shows or whatever. He had like DVR'd a bunch of them and never watched them when they were coming out. And he had gone down and like binge watched them. And, um, it, then it turned out too, like he was all wrapped up that this was all going to happen and they're going to, you know, something terrible is going to happen and the economy is going to crash and everything. But he actually hadn't done anything about it. Like nothing. Like he didn't even have like a couple extra flashlights and batteries. You know, and he was so overwhelmed. With how terrible it was going to be, he had done nothing for the things that probably will happen. Like, you know, we're going to have freezing weather for a week between Christmas and New Year's because I took off to get some things done on a farm, and we have to make sure that I spend all that time repairing stuff instead of building stuff. And that's probably going to create some some problems. You know, that that being a bit prepared might be good for. Him. He hadn't even done that. Uh, we get weather problems all the time. You know, he could lose his job. Like, he had done nothing typical. And so I explained to him what we do. And gave him the website address. Kind of went off my day, and I don't know if he really dug into it or not. Um, but that's an example of how people perceive preparedness, and and I think there's there's some reasoning behind that because when you really look at it, like there's a lot wrong in the world today. There is a lot wrong in the world today. I mean, the cost of health insurance alone is a reason to be kind of pessimistic about the world. Like people are going broke to pay their insurance. I think that's all going to blow up at some point, though, and we're going to have to have a new solution to that. So I'm kind of looking forward to whatever that new solution might be. If you're a kid and you think you need to go to college, you're looking at $100,000 in debt or more uh, to get a job that doesn't exist. And whether you want to put the kids down or not, their, their families are pushing them into it. If you're a young adult out of college, it was pushed into it. Even if now you're thinking, I probably shouldn't have done this, most of them can't admit that they shouldn't have done it. Uh, and whether they can or not, they're stuck with it. They're saddled with it. Uh, our national debt is close to $20 trillion. Um, we've swapped out ass clowns multiple times just since I started this show. And everything is marketed a little bit differently. But the big macro problems of the country are the same. Um, there's, you know, there's no real good side of everything that we look at when we judge the bad side, I guess is the way to look at it. But there's so many good things. I mean, we should be incredibly optimistic to be alive when we look at things and not just, you know, hey, you can make money in cryptocurrency, but the whole dynamic would be one example. And that's why I let off with kind of my update on Bitcoin. The whole dynamic that we can create our own economies our own systems of exchange 
through the leveraging of technology. And anybody anywhere can try to stop it, but in the end, it's done. It's out of the bag. It happened. It's like the Internet. I believe the government thought when the Internet was being developed that it would be the greatest means of controlling the people on the planet. And in some ways, it is. But on the other hand, it's like a tiger. You've released it into the wild. It's going to be a tiger now. You can't put it back. Another you know, example of what I hear about you know, with Bitcoin, they could, or crypto in general, they could stop it all and just shut the Internet down. If you want every capital in the, in the developed world to be set on fire, go ahead and try it. It's, it's, it's not, you can't do it. The world has evolved from a standpoint, and yes, there's oppressive assholes. Yes, there's an oligarchy. Yes, there are people that abuse things. Yes, there are monopolies. But there are so many, this is how you have to look at it. All of these problems are like a giant fence around a place where you're held captive. But there's thousands of holes in the fence. There's thousands of places where the fence is weak. There's thousands of places where you can set up a doorway in the fence and use it as an opportunity. This is a metaphor, of course. And when you get through one of those holes, yes, there's another larger fence. But that fence has thousands of holes in it, too. And we can either sit around with our thumb in our ass bitching about the fence, or we can start looking for some holes. Some of the reasons I believe, like anybody can build resilience today, and that's the reason to be optimistic. But right now, building a business is easier than it has ever been in the history of planet Earth. And the way I can prove that is just content creation, such as this show. For me to have done that is not something that somebody would sit back at and go, wow, that's really amazing. I think there's people that really are grateful that we have the TSP communities that we do and are glad that it's here. But if we look at me as an example, I'm actually a terrible example for the point I'm trying to make because I've been successful in business for decades before I started TSP. I've built multiple companies, small and large. I've been in high-level positions as an executive. Like when, when the Internet comes around and someone like me builds a business on it, People go, well, it's just a new way to build a business. The people that are going to build a business in the past can build them in the present. But look at some of the people who are full-time employed with Internet businesses and just, just content creation today. That if, if it wasn't for the Internet, it's not just they wouldn't have that business, they wouldn't have a business. How many can you think of like that? Now, think of how many people have businesses that were possible before the age of the Internet, but their version of it wouldn't be. Think of how many people are doing things, let's just say sustainable agriculture, where they are able to be in sustainable agriculture and sell locally, but they're actually empowered by online search. If they didn't have a website and, and the ability for people to find them and know they were there, they would have a very difficult time building a business. Or people that started out selling locally, they now ship around the country whether it be a hard good, a food good, a service, whatever it is. Think about the number of people who today are independent contractors that work from home doing things like computer programming, and they learned everything self-taught, and all they need is an Internet connection. They can work from anywhere in the world, and they probably could have got a job doing programming 20 years ago in an office because they didn't have a degree. But today they can, they can take small jobs, they can build credibility, 
They can showcase their work. There's websites that are you know, like Rent-A-Coder where they, they verify everything. And as they build up their track record, then they can get larger jobs doing more important work for more important people. Or they can eventually find a project they love and go out and build it on their own. Like, when the hell was it ever this good? People that eventually, you, you're Gen X. And I, these young people, you grew up back, you could go to school and get a job. What the hell are you talking about? When, when has it ever, in the history of the world, from a standpoint of starting a business, been as good as it is today? And I'll answer that question for you. Never. Never. It's never been this easy. It's never been this good. And you know what? It's still hard. And that's good, too, because if it was easy, everybody would do it, saturate the market, and it would suck. But if you want it, it's easy. The next thing that you should be so optimistic about today Knowledge is practically free. When the hell in the history of the world could you have learned as much as you can today at any price, let alone for free? I'm sick of hearing how much a college degree costs. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter anymore. There's certain things you need it for, and 90% of the shit that people think they need it for, they don't. It opens doors that would otherwise be closed. So what? For $100,000 worth of debt, you can open a lot more freaking doors, a lot more freaking ways by being creative. Knowledge is free. Anything from, I have this vacuum cleaner and it's not working and I need to change the belt on it and I don't know how. That to do advanced mathematics. That to do programming. That to freaking mine money out of the internet. That to set up a website. That to do graphic design. <laughs> I mean, knowledge is practically free. And yes, some of the better knowledge, that's not even, most of the things that you can pay to learn online, there's not anything in that course, if you want to call it that, that you couldn't learn on your own for free. The difference is the quality of the instruction, the organizational structure, and you don't know what you don't know. But even like some of these courses are like a $1,000 electronic course. It seems like a money, a lot of money compared to what? And how much do you, and if you take that information and apply it, how much do you do it? John Dowie out of this audience is a perfect example of this. He bought Luke, uh, I can't think of his name, Luke Callahan's ebook, Getting Started Selling Microgreens, or whatever the hell it's called. I have a discount for you in the MSB on this, for I think 47 bucks or 37 bucks, something like that. Today, he runs a full-time agricultural business, primarily selling microgreens, and it all started with buying a $47 book. Now, I'm not using today's show to crap on college. I'm just saying, like, knowledge is practically free. If you know what you actually want to do, the, the, the barrier of knowledge has been removed to a zero-sum game. And in just not that long ago, and to some of you guys that are really young, this sounds like a long time ago. And I know when I was a kid, when somebody said something like 1955, that sounded like forever ago. But 1985, 1985, none of this was possible. Knowledge was not free. You go to a library and find a book that was 10 years old that was outdated on what you were trying to learn about. You can spend a couple thousand bucks to buy a shitty Commodore 120AD computer. And all you could do was dial up other geeks and, and talk about Dungeons and Dragons or play some video games or use a really bad flight simulator. And today you have access to the greatest archives of knowledge in the world.
in anything you want to learn about. How can you not be optimistic? Next, almost everything you need is cheap. Almost everything you need is cheap. If you want to create a highly resilient lifestyle with you know a few months of food saved up, uh, basic energy independence, at least so you can get by during a shortage and all, you can do that for well under ten thousand dollars. I mean, extremely resilient life. Growing some of your own food, growing some of your own livestock, generator, battery backup system, couple months of food put back, and some money put away as a small savings account for an emergency fund. Well under $10,000. Sounds like a lot of money. That's freaking cheap. It's, it's because of the good side of globalism and the global marketplace. You couldn't do that in 1980 for $10,000 the way you can today. And in 1980, $10,000 was a hell of a lot more money than it is today. Almost everything is cheap. Even things that look expensive are cheap. Uh, the aquaponics project that I'm working on right now, so you guys can follow along and build your own systems. A 300-gallon structural foam stock tank is $200. Seems kind of expensive, What else does that for you for $200 and last forever? That you can drive down the street a few miles in most markets and pick up and whip in the back of your pickup truck, take it home and fill it up and it starts doing it. You can go out and build a bell siphon for a dollar. Get a bulkhead for seven bucks. Throw a, a couple a concrete trays on it for $12 a piece Take the food cores that you were going to throw away, like the video I put out yesterday, shove them in there and start regrowing the food you brought from the supermarket. And I've got food that I've been regrowing for a year and a half now. By investing a couple hundred bucks, go down to a, 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 a pond in your local area, catch a bunch of panfish out of it, whip their ass in there, set up a worm farm and throw a couple handfuls of worms and black soldier flies in there every day and have fish and vegetables. And the damn thing will run on a pump that runs for about $5 a month. It's not free, but it's cheap. It's cheap. The world is the ch is cheaper than it's ever been. Now, some, there's some downsides to that. Some cheap stuff is garbage. But, I mean, the key that you need in my bullet point out there is the word need. Almost everything you need, not want, almost everything you need to build resiliency in your life is cheap relative to any other time in history. And there's a community for everything. The hardest thing about wanting to do something isn't just gaining knowledge, but being encouraged and having people to talk to who have been there, done that, and are willing to help you. Someone please tell me a time where you could come up with any idea that's valid, please, like valid. And I mean, some of the ideas that don't even seem valid, like you just go, no way. You, then you, uh, you, you kind of take a look at it and you realize like, oh, wait a minute, like somebody's actually already doing that and it is valid. But any valid concept, there's probably already a community for. Anything you want to know about, anything you want to do, there's a Facebook page or a forum or a Zello network, or a Slack group, or, I mean, when have you been able to say, I 
have decided that I want to learn how to fly fish and find thousands of people that already know how to fly fish, not just look up videos, but people that are actively fishing that you can talk to. When? It has never existed. Especially if you live somewhere where there weren't a lot of people that fly fished. The world is actually incredible today. And I want to talk about the other side of things. If you don't look at it this way, and you don't start going out and building your solutions, and you don't say, no matter how bad whatever situation I'm in sucks, it's up to me to fix it, what's your alternative? What's your alternative to this optimistic viewpoint? Bitch about the problems? I mean, you can, you can complain. I mean, and that's what... That's why the millennial generation is getting the bad rap they're getting. More than any other reason, because there is the most, and I'm not going to say they, right? The most vocal among them spend most of their time bitching about problems rather than looking for solutions to problems. And, of course, when they, when they look for a solution to a problem, and it's not just the millennials. They just, that's the targeted du jour, Right? But, I mean, this is true of people all the way up to old retired people and all the way down to the youngest kids in the world that can speak. This is a constant across everything. Bitch about problems, and then, once you've bitched about the problem long enough, what's the next step? I hope someone will fix it. Or beg someone to fix it. Or demand that somebody fix it. And whoever doesn't have the problem should fix it for you. The people that have done well in life... That have, that have achieved some level of success, that have built some level of wealth, they should give up what they have to fix your problem. It's not going to happen. You can, you can elect a socialist, you can elect a libertarian, you can elect a Democrat or a Republican. It's not going to happen. Because it's never happened in the history of the world. And whenever they have significantly stolen from one group of people, the whole thing just falls apart and explodes and goes into a bloodbath. So, and it's not going to happen here. You, you, no one else is going to fix it. You can hold your breath and wait like a child. And I see it in the liberty movement. It's the person that goes, well, I'm never buying land or a house. Because you'll never really own it. Because you're going to have to pay property taxes on it. Well, you're going to live somewhere. And when you're going to pay to live there. And if I'm your landlord, you're paying my property taxes. I promise you, I didn't back that out of your, your rent. It's, it's that sour graves attitude. And there's a lot of people out there in the younger generation, again, though, this is a constant across, it's just there's the majority of them that are doing it today are in that 25-35 year group. They're in stall mode. They're doing nothing. And they, a lot of them don't even know it. A lot of them don't even know it. But they're in hold their breath and wait like a child mode. They're waiting for something to happen to make it better to go out and risk, to go out and try, to go out and do. And if you're a young person, you listen to this show and you're getting mad at me right now, don't. Either you're in that group and you damn well know it, or you're not in that group and you damn well know it exists. So if you're not in it, be grateful. Be grateful. Because all of the people that are, when you go out and do all the great shit I was talking about in the last segment, you don't have to compete with them because they're not doing shit because they're holding their breath and waiting. If you're holding your breath and wait, right, you are in that group to a degree. You see some level of it in yourself. I am hitting you with the two by four in the head today about it. And you can also be 45 and be the same person, okay? Because I'll tell you what, the people that say, I'll never buy a house, they're always in their 40s. They're not millennials that are making that cough out bullshit, okay? Um, if you recognize it in yourself, also be grateful. 
Because that means now you've identified the problem, now you can correct it. And once you do, you don't have to compete with all those other people that will never take that hard step, identify the problem, and step out. Because the, those are your things. You can bitch about the problems, hope someone will fix it, hold your breath and wait. And the last one is, you can blame other people for it. It's not my fault. Here's the freaking answer to it's not my fault, Mr. Snowflake and Mrs. Snowflake out there. It doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. It is your problem. It is your problem, and that's wonderful. It's wonderful. Because if it's your problem and you can take ownership of it, you can mitigate, correct, fix, and end that problem. It might be painful. It might hurt. It might suck. It's probably not easy. I don't care, and the world doesn't either. But that's a good thing. Because here's the beauty of that. The fact that the world doesn't give a shit about your problem even if you didn't create it for yourself, and you're going to be forced to fix it for yourself, when you fix your problem, you will understand that you shouldn't have to give up everything you gain by doing it so that somebody else can have their problem fixed by not doing anything and waiting for someone else to fix it. And then you'll realize it's great that it's not so easy for people to just take away what you have to fix somebody else's problem that doesn't want to act. It's fantastic. This is It. There may be a better time to be alive in the future, or it may be a worse time. I don't know. I know some people call me Spirko Domus. That started with Ron Hood like seven, eight years ago. And, and sometimes I'm pretty good at predicting things in the future, but I don't actually predict the future. If I was as good at predicting the future as some people think I am, instead of having you know a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of cryptocurrency, I'd have a couple hundred million dollars worth of it because I would have had confidence to go heavier in. I mean, if I could predict the future, I could make a fortune just on freaking betting on football. All I do is identify trends and say this is the way the trend is going. So I don't know if 20 years from now things will be as great as they are right now. But I, I'm a student of history, and I can tell you they've never been better. There's this bullshit nostalgia, is what I'll call it, that people think, well, back in the 50s, when a guy going out and got his first job, he could afford a house and a car. Bullshit! Everybody has always struggled when they started out in life. Everybody has, your dad struggled, your grandfather struggled, Your great-grandfather probably struggled his ass, for most of you, right through the Great Depression. For me, my grandparents struggled their ass through the Great Depression. So did my great-grandparents. Your great-great-grandparents probably struggled their ass through the, 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 the turmoil after World War I, Prohibition, and all that shit. And your great-great-great-grandparents, they probably had to deal with the aftermath of the freaking Civil War. Or were some immigrant getting here with nothing in their hand except, like my grandmother, a cast iron skillet, a few things, and some seeds? I mean, th there has never been a time when people who didn't already have it made and were starting out either very low or at the bottom didn't struggle to get ahead. The concept that there was ever a time when you just went to school, you got out of school, you got a job, you went out and got a nice little Ford car or a Chevy car, your choice were Ford, Chevy, and Chrysler, right, and Dodge, that's what you picked from, and then you got yourself a nice little suburban house, you went to work every day, you could afford it, mom could stay home, had a couple kids, and everything was easy, it's all bullshit. Life was like that, but it was because men 
and women struggled through the hard times to make it that way. And I'm telling you, a lot of people, are like our grandparents and great-grandparents, if you could roll them back to when they were 24 and 25 and had that adventurous spirit that we lose as we get older, and bring them through time at that age and drop them right in the middle of the now, they would start walking out and slapping people for not seeing it. Once they, It might take them the culture shock and technology shock and all, but once they understood how easy it is to do what you can do today, they, get, get moving. What's wrong? Get up, get moving, go, come on. Well, I don't know how to, go to that YouTube thing y'all have and figure it out. But I worked really hard. So what? You gotta keep working harder. It's a fantastic time to be alive. And what I want to end with today is why I feel following your passion is great advice no matter what anyone says. There was a whole rush of authors that came out that beat the follow your passion drum. And that created a perfect opportunity for established you know, authors and established wealthy people to come out and shit on it and say things like, no, you got to do something of value. Following your passion. I love Mike Rowe, but he's like, you know, you do what needs to be done. And like, well, you can do that if that's what you want. But why the hell wouldn't you follow your passion in a world where, let me just remind you, Building a business is easier than it's ever been before. Knowledge is practically free. Almost everything you need is cheap, and there's a community for everything. If, if we live in a society where that's the case, where you have the ability to learn anything you want to know, have community around you to help you with it for almost nothing, and, and more ability to leverage that into a business... And the main things that you really need to get that done are inexpensive to the point of being cheap. Why wouldn't you follow your passion? Sure, you can be successful not following your passion, but why don't, why don't you want to be happy while you're successful? I mean, what the hell's wrong with you? And think about the people that say this. Let me tell this. I've told this story before, but I think it's a great time to tell this story again. Um, when I was coming up in the world of sales and I worked in structured cabling, data cabling, voice cabling, things like that, One of the clients that I was able to acquire was a company at the time called AudioNet, and soon after that they were they changed their name from AudioNet to Broadcast.com. And, you know, it's long enough ago, even in the world of uh, the Internet space, that a lot of people might forget this. That's where Mark Cuban became a billionaire. AudioNet and Broadcast.com. Sold the company to Yahoo, and Yahoo basically ruined it. Yahoo spent billions on it and turned it into nothing. Um... But it was actually a very successful company that Mark Cuban built. What they did is they, they, had, they had sales, unlike most of the dot-coms. When you walked into their facility, and again, I was an account manager for them, I sold them millions of dollars of services. I sold them a single data center installation that was $1.4 million, a single job. So I, I know these people. I was in their facility constantly. Okay, When you have a million-dollar customer, you show up about once a week, say hello and see what's going on, don't you? So you'd walk in there, and they were one of the early Google-like companies. Foosball tables, cafeteria, all that shit. But there were guys in cubicles with headsets on and big smiles on their face, working their ass off through their full shift, selling radio stations on, give us some money, We'll plug in a card, and you can broadcast on the Internet. That's why it was called Broadcast.com. So Cuban builds that company up, 
sells it for billions of dollars, buys the Dallas Mavericks, and now sits on Shark Tank, and entrepreneurs come on there and go, I'm passionate about this. He goes, follow your passions, bad advice. Writes blog articles, bad advice. Do you know how this fool came up with the idea and the determination to build AudioNet in the first place? He is a huge basketball fan, and specifically in college, he's a fan of Indiana. And he wanted to be able to listen to Indiana basketball games in his car in Dallas, because that's where he was building other businesses at the time. And he thought, well, this new Internet thing, you could use the Internet to broadcast a local radio station anywhere in the world. Hmm. So he meets a guy named Patrick Seaman, who's actually still a personal friend of mine, um, who at the time was doing audio and electronic work and data uh, networking for JCPenney's, where he started as a janitor and ended up in their technology department. And he, Patrick and, and Mark had started a friendship, and so they start talking about this, and Patrick says, I think I can do that. They tie in with a guy that became my main contact named Curtis Rogers. They form a small core team, and they start working on this. They develop a platform that will enable it. They put together a sales and marketing team, and they start marketing it. They build AudioNet into something meaningful. They rebrand it as Broadcast.com, and a few years later, all of them are worth millions or billions of dollars. Because he followed his freaking passion. It's the most disingenuous, and I actually like the guy a lot in a lot of ways. And sometimes I understand what he's saying, like your idea is dumb and you're doing it poorly, and it doesn't matter how much you believe in it, it's not going to happen. To a degree, he might be right in that individual case. But if he didn't follow his passion, he's not a billionaire today. Nothing else he's ever done, ever, has been as financially successful as his quest to be able to hear a basketball game in Dallas that he otherwise couldn't have heard. Nothing. All the other tech companies, nothing's even close. He did a good job being willing to invest in the Dallas Mavericks. They haven't made him the kind of return of investment that broadcast did. They haven't made a guy that started as a janitor at JCPenney's into a freaking billion, or in Patrick's case, a multi-millionaire. Follow your passion. It's the best advice I can give you because it will lead you to solutions because it may not be that your business or your career will be in your passion. Following your passion could be, this is what I really want in my life, and now we've defined that. Well, if we, if we know we really want that, and we're actually pursuing that when we have drive and we're driven. And once we're driven, then we have to determine for ourselves how do we get there. And that could be doing some really shit work. Some really some things you really don't want to do. You could be scrubbing the ass out of an elephant. I don't know. Whatever's the worst of the worst, it might be that if it's a means to an end. But you're willing to do it. Because trust me, a lot of things I did to get where I am at now, and this is what I wanted, were not this. So following your passion doesn't mean only doing things you're passionate about. That's retarded. Following your passion means defining what you want and then saying, instead of, I wish I could have it, how do I get that? That mindset changes everything about how you look at the world and you look at life and what you do with your life. And I know it sounds overly simplistic, but it's not. It's the truth. And every single person that got there 
that didn't get there by winning the lottery got there that way. There might be some luck here and there along the way for most people get lucky things in their life. There's so many people who get lucky things in their life and they never capitalized on them because they didn't know what they wanted. Talking to people all the time, well, I wish I would have known about this back in the day. I would have invested in it. Did you have any money? No. Well, then you would have invested it. You didn't have anything to do it with. Today, it is as simple as figuring out what you really want in the world and then developing a plan to get there. I don't care if it's through career or business, but knowledge is free. Almost everything you need is cheap. There's a community for everything. And it's a hell of an alternative to bitching about problems, hoping someone else will fix it, holding your breath and waiting, or blaming others. Because these are two choices. You're back to something I've said many times. You can make money or you can make excuses, but you cannot make both. And I actually don't really like money in that quote. I actually prefer to say you can make results or excuses, but not both. When I said money one time, somebody said, well, politicians make excuses all the time, and they get plenty of money. Yeah, they also have results. It may not be the ones you want, but it's difficult to become an elected mafia uh, head of the household. It's hard. There's a, there's a reason they're there. I don't like them any more than you do. In fact, I probably like them a far amount less than the average listener. But I acknowledge that they got results. They went and achieved something. And then, yeah, they dug in like a pit bull and wouldn't let go of it. You know what? I don't like them where they're at, but I understand it. I'm dug in like a pit bull. I'm not letting go where I'm at in life because it's what I wanted. You can do that too. So my question for you, what will you do in 2018? What will you become or fail to become in 2018? We're heading to the end of another year. A couple more episodes of CSP, Christmas, snow for a lot of the country apparently. Downtime with family. A lot of us do have to work in between, but it's probably slower paced. Coming back out into another year, the depths of winter, because winter is coming, it always does, as I've been saying since I started doing this show. Hopefully you've been a good ant this year, and you're prepared for winter, metaphorically and in reality. But it won't be long. It won't be long, these... These very long nights and very short days will begin the process of shifting. In fact, that's only two days away. In two days, the 21st, we'll have a solstice. Longest night of the year is only two days away. And then, for three days, you can figure out why Christmas is the 25th from this. For three days... It will almost stand still. The sun will reach its lowest point in the sky and will barely move by perception. It will pause. And on the 25th, the sun in the sky will go up one degree and the day will be slightly longer and the night slightly shorter. And then we'll have those two months that are the most brutal months of most winters, January and February. Even though the days are getting longer, it gets colder. It's just the way that it works. But each day, each and every day, will be a little bit longer. The sun will be out for a little bit longer. The darkness will come for a little bit less. And not that far away, 
March 21st, we'll have the spring equinox. Birds will begin to sing. Trees will break bud. The ground that had been either white or brown will turn green. Many of us will have baby livestock on our farm. We'll witness the miracle of birth from our livestock. It will have already happened, and they'll be beginning to grow and run around. The new things that we plant will spring up, and it will be spring again, and then summer, and then fall, and then we will be right back where we are right now. You're going to get that experience. That's what's going to happen. As long as you can fog a mirror, that's the next 12 months of your life. I do not have to be a futurist to tell you that that's what's going to happen. What you'll do with it, what will happen to you during it, there's no way for me to know. But my question for you is, what will you choose to do with it? You can embrace the fact that there's more opportunity now than ever, even though things are still hard. You can embrace the fact that it's the best time ever to be able to do it, even though it's still difficult. Or you can complain about your problems, hope someone else will fix it, and that will never happen. Hold your breath and wait and blame others. Those are your two choices. There isn't a third option here. It doesn't exist. And even those that seem to hit that third option, that lottery winner I talked about, do you know what always happens to them? Unless they were the person that was going to somehow get to where they wanted to be anyway, and it became a shortcut, they end up worse off within a few years than they were before it happened. Worst thing you can do to someone that hasn't straightened their shit out, figured out what they wanted in life, and aren't driving for it and trying to achieve it when they have problems is to give them money to fix their problems with you will make their problems worse. It's like seeing somebody that looks that's barely keeping their head above water trying to swim to shore, and they look like they're going to drown, and you feel like you have to do something, so you throw them a weight. They can grab onto it, but it's just going to take them down faster. Or you, it, the more accurate thing is you throw them something that floats when they grab onto it, but they'll think they're safe, so they'll stop trying to get to shore, and it's something with a hole in it that begins to fill up with water. And because they stop the struggling they finally had to do, they drift away from shore, and they end up, once that thing's full and begins to sink and take them down, they end off worse off than if you had just let them try to get to shore. Or you'd step just a few feet in, so they had to make that last couple inches to your hands. And stuck out your hand and said, I'm here. you got to come to me. That's it. Those are your choices. Or as I used to say in the old days when I do shows on, you know, government and the republic and how you're going to live your life, stand or kneel. Those are your two choices. Stand as a free being or kneel as a servant onto those in power. If you want to kneel before your version of God, great. But do not kneel before men. Stand. Stand among them. Stand above them. But do not kneel or yield to them. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. 
I'm going to say real quick, if you want to support our show, you can go to T-Spaz. You can see our item of the day if you want to go there. But that was pretty good, so I want to just leave it and close out and give you our song of the day. Um, again, I am always amazed at how John's choices for songs work with the show. That's pretty ravved up Jack Spierko there today. Um, our song of the day is a Christmas song of the day. It's called All Come, Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Well, that's not very jazzed up rock and roll. It is when Dee Snyder and Twisted Sister sing it, isn't it? And that's all I'll say about that. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.